Welcome, everyone, to Northview's Extra Podcast, episode 202. Two. I forgot to, I hosted the other day, I forgot to mention 201. <clears throat> wow, so now nobody's going to know which is 201. Blew That's it. too bad. It was a good one, too. You did Blew a good it. job. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, Thank I was you. surprised. Like, in a good way. <laughs> I, was, I was shocked, actually. Um, Thanks for the vote of confidence. Yeah, no problem. Andy's here with us today. Good to be here. So is Greg. Hi. And Kyle. Hello. And Ezra. Yeah. And Jeff. Yes. And Jeremy. Yep. Yep. Well, welcome here, everyone. Uh, we have a number of questions, but first things first. Have you guys heard the big news? Yes. Have you? What is it? I don't know. Oh. What would you think? The new Star Wars trailer is out. That's the big news. Mm. No, bigger. Oh, oh, oh. Bigger. Uh, 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 um, Wilson signed. For Seattle? No? Yes? No? No. No. Oh. No. Didn't. This is bigger than that, even. Oh, I don't oh. think he did. Oh, okay. But. No. Okay, we're, we're waiting. That's why the dead silence was there. Fuller House is coming out. Oh, wow. Everywhere you look. Really? Everywhere there's a Instead place. of Full House, it's Fuller House? Yeah. That's dumb. Yeah. Okay, so there's Greg only two, into this. There's only two people at the table who would have been who'd be the age where they appreciated that. Everywhere. Maybe you Andy. Oh, come on, buddy. Oh, I think everybody I, throughout I, the ages was, has enjoyed No, just that show. Jeremy the intern and uh, Greg House, Harris are the only two here who would have thought that was a good You were an idea in your your Okay, that's mine. Easy. <laughs> easy. <laughs> no, I remember watching Full House. My sisters would watch it. And? It was good times. Yeah. I, mean, my, I don't know any of the characters on Full House. Danny Tanner, Joey okay. Gladstone, Jesse Kostopoulos, wow. DJ Tanner, Stephanie Tanner, Michelle Tanner, Kimmy Gibbler, and I Did forget the boyfriend's for this? name. Did you No, yeah. man. This, okay, is, like, this, is, my this is my childhood. This is my childhood. Instead of respect, I'm disturbed <laughs> by what I've, just ex- <laughs> what I've just encountered. All right, that's fine. I'm sure you didn't watch any stupid shows either. Nope. No. No. <laughs> no, you guys are. No, yeah, we're all good. Who, any, who right? on the show did you relate to most? I don't know. The little so. twin girls? He's pretty young. That's probably your the age, then. I think they actually are my age. Not, no, not quite. But yeah, no, it's a. I have it on IMDb. Where are right they now? now? Ooh. Those little the girls. Two little they, girls. Mary Kate and Ashley Soen. Yeah, so. well, they're Olsen. millionaires many times over. Are they? But yeah. what do they do now? Do they have? I don't, do I they don't know. Still if, acting? I don't know or? if they're. No, in a good I don't place. think they ever acted. I think they they got into clothing. And is there is there a Mary Kate Olsen apart from Ashley Olsen? Like, does she have no, a think... future in the business on her own? Okay, interesting, interesting little piece of trivia for everyone. Just because I'm the only Full House expert here. Uh, clearly, which is embarrassing for you guys, <laughs> is originally they cat on the credits they put it Mary Kate Ashley Olsen because they didn't want people to know that they hired twins to play one oh. character. And then as she got older and the show kept going, people started realizing that they looked sometimes looked a little different. So then eventually they had to say Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. So they, mm. had, to, they had to show their cards eventually. That so again, I'm disturbed even deeper by your knowledge of the show. <laughs> so that's the rest of the story. So my oh, point is that they probably there probably isn't a career for one of them without yeah. the other. 
Now, can we just take a moment and just thank the Lord that Bob Saget's America's Funniest Videos is no longer on the air? You didn't like is the no. is it American's Funniest Videos is still on, just not him. I think Tom Bergeron's the yeah, host. Yeah, he's hosting. Yeah, there's a new they guy still... who does it. Yeah. Oh, so you you, but, uh, you no, particularly like... Bob Saget though. He was the worst. Okay. Do you think with YouTube we still need America's Funniest Home Videos? Yeah. No, <laughs> probably. It does not. the work for us though? It gets it all together. <laughs> and sit down and watch. <laughs> Fail blog. Yeah, because YouTube's hard. Yeah. <laughs> you get witty commentary though with the America's oh, that's Funniest the worst Home part. Videos. Wit, please. <laughs> you get cheesy commentary. So other big so. news. Edmonton gets the first pick in the NHL draft to yes. draft the next Gretzky. So they're going to become the city of champions again. Mm. They still have the sign-up outside of Edmonton, city of champions. Do they? That's been a long time. It has been a long time, yeah. Yeah, but at least they've won it. This is why whenever people are like, oh, Edmonton, they're bad now. I'm like, well, Canucks, we haven't done anything. I'm wearing the jersey, though. And you're not doing Go anything Canucks this go. year either, are you? Well, my Jets lost last night, so they're down 3 nothing. They haven't oh, won. that was a painful yeah. loss. They won the Avco Cup numerous <laughs> years in a row, Yeah, but not the Stanley Cup. What's the Avco Cup? Uh, it's WHA. The same thing. It's the same thing as the Stanley Cup. Yeah, except. same thing. It's kind of like the seawall in <laughs> Stanley Park is like Kildonan Park in Winnipeg. That's what you said when we went to Kildonan yeah. Park in Winnipeg. Those of you who are listening and been to Kildonan Park will know that uh, it's not it's exactly any, it's like not Stanley anything Park. like Stanley Park. There's water and all sorts of stuff there. Hey, um, <laughs> Kyle, we have some, something coming up. Don't we? Oh, yeah, Se- Secret Church. Right. <laughs> yeah, we talked a little bit about that Shh. last week. We did last week. Shh. Yeah. It's a secret. It's so how do we find out about it if it's like that much of a secret? Don't let anyone hear you. It's secret. Oh, Kildonan Park has a really nice little <laughs> thing. They have toboggan <laughs> slides. I'm just looking up the. We, if you go to, if you go to the Northview website, it's on the the home page, the main page. There's a link you can uh, find out more information about it as well as register for it. But it's this Friday, the twenty twenty fourth. 6 p.m. here uh, in lower court. Okay, so so for listeners who haven't attended this thing, so it's six hours. It's six hours, but the time actually goes by pretty quickly. Uh, we'll mm. have some snacks and coffee and tea there as well. Mm. But um, yeah, so I, I, is the, the guy time... just talking for six hours? Like, mm-hmm. what is he doing? Um, <laughs> it's it's about an hour and 15 minute sessions where he'll talk about the topic and kind of. So it's almost like an hour. It's like four hour and 15 minute. Talks, presentations, mm-hmm. and then there's some time of a break time and some prayer time in between those four, uh, those four times. So, yeah, it goes it goes by pretty quick. I mean, there are some times when you know, like you'll hit a lull and like, okay, just keep fighting through it, get some more coffee. Um, but he talks um, well, and it's it's good information that really makes you makes you think. Mm. He's engaging though. Oh yeah, David Platt's an engaging communicator. He is. Yep. Cool. So can you just show up that day, or do you need to register ahead of time? It'd be nice to have registration ahead of time, just so we can make sure we got enough seats and things out. But if people can't register, um, just show up, and we'll, we'll let you in. So this Friday, what time? 6 p.m. it starts. So come 15 minutes early, just Where? to make sure. It's in lower court here okay. at the Abbotsford campus. Perfect. Okay, okay. And to go along with that, not to be outdone, Andy's going to do a public reading of his book for six hours. <laughs> Okay. Yep. And that's going to draw the crowds. Chapter two. <laughs> well, are they going to do that with, in, 
Like, can I? Could I get a uh, audio version Whoa. of it? On Kindle? Are you gonna no, do that? Unbelievable. <laughs> Are you gonna do it? Of course, we're doing. An You're audio gonna do version. an audio oh, version, and I'm read, it. read by the author. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm gonna read it until you give me the audio version where you read it. <laughs> Are you doing different voices and stuff? And oh, that'd be awesome. For the characters? Wouldn't that be great? A little radio theater on it. And Sound, Alvin yeah. planting us it. <laughs> 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 I kind of double dog dare you now to do it. Uh, but you know what I am doing this Friday? Uh, getting Whoa, interviewed. Going to Secret Church? <clears throat> I'm not actually. Oh. Uh, being interviewed on 100 Huntley Street with the book. Really? Uh, yeah. What is 100 Huntley Street? It's like the top level of Canadian Christian television. <laughs> it is? Yeah. What channel is it on now? <clears throat> I have no idea. Global? It'll air in June. Sometime in June. Wow. So they, they fly you out, isn't it, in Toronto? Mm-hmm. They're flying you out there? Uh, no, I'm actually out there for the Apologetics Canada Conference East. Oh. So they're going to have, they're going to ha- bring you on? Yeah. Live. What are you going to wear? I, I haven't really thought about that, Do you think actually. you're going to shave your head before Don't you go? Or? I probably will. Are yeah. you going to grow a little bit of a, uh, like a... Oh, a soul uh, patch. Soul patch. Think about bringing soul some patch. glasses, you know. Soul patch. Can we, can we vote? Can we have our listeners vote on what you should wear and what you should, what kind of facial hair you should have? Can you, can no. you do like a special sign? Like no, you, that's you, not okay. You like touch I would right wear ear. that wig. Maybe I should wear that wig though no, no, for no. the 200th episode. That's a good idea. Touch your right ear and that's a shout out to everyone. Who all the, to all extra. the extra podcast listeners, it will be like a, if you rub the right side of your face. Respect. I will, I, will, I will itch my right ear at one point. Nice. Okay. How about a secret word? Like aluminum. You have to say aluminum. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's get into some questions here. We got some uh, faithful listeners that have sent in a number of uh, questions here for you gentlemen. Um, Hello. I have a question. I have a question first. Whoa. Can can you you send it in instead? Why did that, how that, what was the connection to... Secret Church again? <laughs> it was, it was both on Friday. You were like, you know what I'm going to do on Friday? <laughs> it had to do with my plans. Oh, your <laughs> interview's on Friday. Is that what's happening? <laughs> Greg, it's called a shameless plug. Did, did I miss the connection? There was no the connection. Week? Friday. Yeah. No, the connection, to, to defend myself, the connection was I was being harassed by Darcy with about the book, and uh, I defended myself, and then I threw in a shameless plug. But what was the Friday connection? I'm the interview is this Friday. Craig, it's a dead end. All right. It's a dead end. Okay. Uh, I have a question about trusting in God. We are called to trust that he will provide, but there are millions of people dying from starvation. Why doesn't God provide for them? That's a good question. Uh, can, we, can I make some clarifications, though? Um, we, um, in that in that sentence okay we trust that god will provide we are told that god will provide that th- those are words in scripture that are used of god's covenant people right we're all willing to agree with that so like there's not there's no there's no biblical passage that i know of that somebody that, that was going to say that god is going to provide for the needs of every person on the planet right okay what do you mean when you say covenantal people? Uh, what I mean is that his his people who are part of his who's, who are the people of faith in in the new covenant era that those who have believed in Jesus Christ. So I'm saying that those who are his covenant people that who are in a covenant with him, based on faith in the finished work of Jesus, um, they are his possession or the 
what? There's lots of different biblical languages to, to say that. So I'm going to say that so, so if there is a promise in the scriptures, it is that God will care uniquely for his people, right? Most of the Old, the Old Testament, that's what it's talking about. So the question could be asked, why is it that some of his people right. uh, seem to have less than others? And by that, I mean like drastically less than others. Um, this is really this is a really good question. Uh, I'm not sure that I would want to malign God though, and by saying that He's letting letting them down in some some way, uh, He does not promise us that we will avoid um, death. For example, I'm reminded of John chapter 21, where Jesus is meeting with Peter after the resurrection and informs Peter of what it's going to cost if he follows him. In fact, it is going to cost him his life. Right. And uh, what does Peter do? He points over at John pretty much and says, tell me he's going to die as bad as I'm going to die. Right. So first, and we have passages in First Peter, for example, that talk about su- suffering and how you should expect this. You should expect some kind of suffering in your life. And everyone who uh, wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a passage that is in the scripture. So look, <clears throat> I want to be careful with what we say regarding what God has promised because we, we in the Christian culture right now are very uh, good at listening or believing that there are promises to us for our prosperity, but they, we don't like to listen to the stuff of the other side, which is promise for suffering for belief in Christ, okay? I also... Can, can I just make a yeah, comment there real quick? I, I find it interesting that uh, when we look at the early church and the disciples, th- that none of them experienced, you know, they all experienced persecution. They experienced death, mm. poverty. Violent death, usually. Yeah, like... Um, so it's, it's, it's always interesting to me that when you ever hear the prosperity gospel thing, it, right. you never hear about the disciples or any of that kind of stuff because it, they just don't fit, they don't fit into that. Right, but there are passages, right, that the Lord will supply all your needs according to his riches yes. in Christ Jesus at the end of Philippians 4, which in its context is given to a church that gave a missionary some support. Okay. Or the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount, right, that seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you, right? Um. I, I do think that I also want to make a clarification that that much, many times where the scriptures talk about God's care for us and the, and His seeking our good, we think of it in temporal terms, whereas I think that God sees this in a more eternal sense. And that's when I'm using that language, I'm, I'm using thinking about Romans eight, for example, and my God will, or and I'm sorry, God will work all things together for good for those who, for love, those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So when we hear that, we think, oh, see, that's a promise that God is going to bring some sort of prosperity or blessing in the, in the, in the present time upon all those who love him. But then, then you follow it, and actually you realize that there's, there's the promise of death and starvation and all sorts of things that follow. You know, We are led like sheep to be slaughtered is the way that the language goes in the rest of Romans chapter 8. But we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? There's nothing to separate us from the love of Christ. So in its context there, it's talking more of an eternal thing. The, the good that is being spoken of, that God will seek for us, is, is an eternal good. That he, he will, we can, we can view our suffering in our present moment as part of God's eternal plan to bring us to himself. So a lot of the passages of scripture have that as their emphasis. So even though you suffer in this present time, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us in Romans 8, I think 17 there. Mm-hmm. But so, 8, 17 or 18. So I, my, my point is that there is, 
there is a more eternal focus in the scriptures than there is than we have. We have a very temporal focus on many of these things. And when we find passages that are temporally focused, they're usually in the Old Testament, which were promises that were given to Israel. And those promises are expanded to <clears throat> eternal uh, significance for the covenant people of God in the New Testament. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So what, a, just, what about <clears throat> for the passages where Jesus says not to worry because, right. you know, just birds don't store their food away. Right. And so you don't have to worry. You'll, you'll, you'll have your food provided for you. Right. What about for Christians in the world who are dying of starvation? Yeah. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> I, I, I'd like to see the actual evidence. I'm sure that there are Christians in the world who are dying of starvation. I, I will say that I do think that part of the argument that Paul makes, in, for example, in 2 Corinthians 8. Is it 2 no, 1 Corinthians 8, where he's talking about money. Is it 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 8? All those, Cor- those Corinthians. Or no, no I think it's 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Mm-hmm. Where he's going to take this offering. He takes this offering for uh, the church in Jerusalem, and he, he's trying to compel the believers in Corinth to give money, which I always think is a really interesting kind of passage because we, we have all these fundraising events all over the place, and I'm like, well, Paul had his own fundraising approach, and here, here's his approach. Mm-hmm. He came to the church, and he actually seems to argue that there's, there's a, there is a sense of solidarity that we ought to have, that in other words, that... Um, you have been, he argues, you've been given much in this present time so that you could alleviate their need. And they may at another time alleviate yours. That's an interesting argument, what he's saying. That basically the church exists as brothers and sisters in Christ to alleviate each other's suffering. Now this is, if that's true and we read that well, this is, has huge implications for the Western church, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so here we are sitting on all of our money and wanting to have a new car, new boat, new house, new TV, new whatever. And actually there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering in the world today Mm. and who are starving in the world today. And God's intent is for the church to be the church here, who he's given money to, to be the resource that helps alleviate that, if I'm reading that properly. Mm Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't think that's happening very much. We, we are far more focused on our own, our own comfort um, than we are on the needs of our brothers and sisters. Now, what's really kind of scary is that the Bible has lots to say about those who turn away from their brother in need, yeah? So James, too, you know, if you say to your brother, you know, be warm and be filled, <laughs> but you do nothing to alleviate his temporal need, you know, it's the tr- you're not a Christian. That's what he's essentially saying. Or the Matthew 25. three sixteen, Yeah, go ahead. 18, how, <clears throat> if, uh, if, yeah, basically the same thing. How can the truth be in you if, you, if right. you're not alleviating? Right, Matthew, Matthew 25, where you're getting the passage uh, about <clears throat> the sheep and the goats being separated, and they get separated based upon their love or tangible love shown to Christ who is seen in the suffering brother, the needy brother, right? You, you, you know, you, what you did to the least of these my brothers, you did to me. So I, I do think that the principle is in the scriptures along these lines, that there should be sharing across the thing. By the way, this is all built upon, the idea of, that I'm getting at here is really built upon what happened in the wilderness with the manna. Remember, they, God provides the manna in the wilderness, and he, he gives them instructions. Don't take more than you need. So that each one should have enough. <clears throat> And so the, the, much of the teaching about 
possessions in the scriptures has this sort of its backdrop. It doesn't mean that there, there's not going to be some people who have more and those people don't have less, but there should be some sort of equity mm-hmm. across the across the spectrum, and there, there isn't currently. And so it's very possible that God has actually invested in people like you and me the the money required to actually care for our suffering and starving brothers and sisters around the world. It's just that we like to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. So is that our first port of call when we're wanting to help people is... Christian brothers and sisters first. I mean, Galatians. And then others? Galatians, I think it's Galatians 5, talks about Paul's paradigm for this is to do good to all people, but especially those in the household of faith. So that's kind of the paradigm I use is you try to do good to all, but when it comes to your prioritization of who you're going to serve with your thoughts, your stuff. You have limited resources. We yeah. all do. So you it's can't high, you can't help everyone. It's just that there should be a priority given to brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, yeah. isn't that how we uh, our own families work? Yep. Uh-huh. Right. <coughs> Good. Oh, by the way, uh, just put a plug here for Compassion. This is one of the reasons why I, I really like that organization. Is uh, they do seek to alleviate the suffering of yeah. people and helping provide food, and. The thing that I love about that organization as well is, is sharing the gospel and that these things can go hand in hand and should. Right. And, and there are organizations like this that facilitate, because it's hard for me to think, well, how am I going to help the starving right. people in El Salvador? Yeah. Well, there are organizations, Christian organizations, that are doing that. Food for the Hungry right. does Canadian a good job for the hungry. also. Yeah, there's several organizations that you can partner with to, to, to do this. I just think it's, it's, it's unfortunate that so many Christians in the West don't, I don't think we quite understand the teaching about, in the scriptures about uh, possessions and giving, and I don't think we quite understand it. I I, I agree, and what is interesting in The Economist recently, they had a whole uh, section on how much poverty there is in the Silicon Valley, Mm. and how many people there um, are really being squeezed out because of the high prices to live there and, and whatnot, and how they actually have a lot of people who um, are dealing with food issues and whatnot. And, but yet you got incredible wealth there at the yeah. same time. Uh-huh. And uh, I think this is a, a constant challenge, right? right? I think also we also need to be careful when we, are, when we ask a question regarding, okay, so why is God not feeding the, the millions who are hungry in other parts of the world? And I think for us, we would look at what... What do our bread baskets look like here in North America as compared to how it looks like in Africa, for instance? What do you know about it? So, yeah, (laughs) you know, I think in North America there is um, an abundance of food. And we thank God that if, if I'm hungry, I can go to my house right now. There's food in my fridge. You know, if I visit any friend of mine, there's plenty to eat and really good food. But this is not the case necessarily in Africa. However, God may provide for someone in Africa, you know, a small bowl of rice and beans that will tie this person over to the next day and may be the only meal they have. And so for us, we would say, oh, that is starvation. Because we are comparing with the gluttony that's in our culture here. And I think we need to be careful not to use the grid, the North American grid, and say, hey, if it is not like North America, then it is starvation. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily so. Good. I want to move on to another question here. Um, 
I'm wondering what the view of Northview is regarding the age of the earth. It's about 24 years old. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're that's, older than the earth? That's ah. one thought. <laughs> Where are you before? <laughs> In his own little world. No. In I get a, I get a, let's just say that I get a funky high from the yellow sun. <laughs> okay. You're Superman? Well, I didn't say it. <laughs> but you and Superman have never been seen in the same room together. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> That's what we have. No, we don't believe it's 24 years old. There is no view of Northview. No official. No official view on the age of the earth. Right. And uh, I think let's, this will be fun. We can go around the table regarding what people think the Bible teaches about the age of the earth. Andy. Yeah. Answer the question. <laughs> what does the Bible teach about the age of the earth? I, I don't think that the Bible seeks to tell us an age of the earth. I hold to an old earth. Okay. Maybe. Greg. Oh, by, by the way, could I just preface that again? No. All right. Is it in your book? <laughs> by the way, it is in yeah, my book. Greg, oh, Greg you what do you got? Uh, I'm with Andy. I don't think it's taught in the scriptures anywhere about the age of the earth. Okay. So I'm, I'm happy to go with... with Young or old? How, well, yeah, either. I think science tends to be leading us towards thinking that the earth sure looks like it's old. Okay. So I'll lean towards old. Okay, you, Greg? I mean, sorry, what's your name? <laughs> Kyle. I'm just Kyle. Okay. Um, I think the scriptures are much more concerned with who made the earth and who he's made in the earth and why he has made us that's, as people. That's what I was going to say oh. right? with my well, who, lots of us who and why table, more than when okay. and how. How is the earth then? Uh, I'm, I'm actually happily um, agnostic no, about that. Oh, I'm happily agnostic. Can we, can we choose? Oh, I don't want to. <laughs> no, I mean, I say, <laughs> just pick a side and go with it. What if you a had to choose, if there's a coin I, and it doesn't land on its edge. Well, it could. <laughs> okay, uh, Ezra. We've been here for speaking billions of and are, billions of years. <laughs> okay, Ezra. Old Earth. Really? Yeah. I didn't see that one I coming. I didn't see that coming either. Oh, Jeremy, you're going to go with? I would go with Old Earth as well. What? Darcy? I grew up totally young Earth. I mean, every comic yeah. book you read, Christian comic yeah, book, yeah. everything from Creation Research Institute that came out, right, <clears> was <throat> all young Earth. And I think you got us to read, or I read The uh -oh. uh, Lost World of Genesis <laughs> 1. Is that <laughs> what it's called? Yeah, John Walton's book. Yeah, and it's certainly, yeah, I, I would probably leave old Earth now, lean yeah. that way. Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, I th so, so around the table, I think you probably get the closest thing to what our church l largely believes. Um, but let me make some clarifications. Uh, we don't have a view, number one. Number two, I think that the most consistent view that we have around our staff and leaders is that the, the Bible doesn't really speak to it. Uh, that the, the, the intent, the author's intent in Genesis 1 is not to give an age of the earth. The author's intent is probably polemic in nature, meaning more has to do with how the, the God, God Yahweh is greater than the gods of the ancient Near East or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that the structure of Genesis 1 is not trying to argue for a 21st century cosmology. So I think that tends to be the, the feeling around the place. Now that doesn't mean that everyone on our staff or around the table might even, is feeling like, well, they're a soul, the old, whatever. It means, as Kyle said, we're agnostic. Man, if you want to say it's young, I, okay, I'll, it, it might be apparent age. The thing might look old, and it might be young. So I'm cool with that. I'm also cool with you saying, yes, yeah, really, really old. <laughs> okay, there's lots of ways to understand that, I think, that are, that are uh, biblically informed. 
Now, mm-hmm. you taught our elders one time about this issue, and you said there's things that both sides can agree on that are more important than actually what the age of the earth is. Well, I think and that do you remember what those when it was were? Ta- no, I don't. But talking about Genesis one and how we read this, like th- there are some things like God, God is the supreme King and Creator of all things. God right? did it. it yeah. God, God did it. Uh, that yeah. people are the pinnacle of His creation. That people are separated from the rest of the created order by the fact that God made them in his image. Mm -hmm. That people are the stewards of the creation, right? Mm -hmm. We are are called to make make culture and to, you know, multiply. And so we are his co-regents is is the language that's used. Stuff like that. And like we're all going to agree that these things are true. I'm just saying if you just take Genesis 1 to be saying what it's seems to be trying to say, I don't, I don't think that you're going to get an answer, hey, this is how old it is. Right. You're going to say to me, yeah, but look at the days. And I'm like, I'm cool with it being a literal week that he's talking about. I really am. I'm totally cool. But there's all sorts of other questions that I have about it, about that. What's fascinating to me is that when we look in the past, the, the young earth view is actually a new view. Yes. The majority of people in the past... And I'm talking way in the past, even to Augustine. Yeah, you can read Augustine on this. Yeah, he would have held to an older yeah. view. So it's, I mean... Wh- so the new earth view is new, but the old earth view is old? <laughs> old. I'm confused. <laughs> My point is, that, but just because something's old or new in terms of its, you know, recency in, in, the, in, the, um, in the debate... It doesn't make it true or false. It, I, now, here's I, my point, though, I with think that. that I, don't, I don't think the Bible is actually trying to make an argument for it. And I, I and agreed. And I think one of the dangers that I hear some people saying is that you must not really, you know, this whole fundamental Trust thing. The Bible. Yeah, you must well, not. Well, be careful. I mean, yeah. And I, it's, uh, what I'm saying is in that movement, this idea that I feel like has come out of this saying, well, you must not trust the Bible if you don't take it literally. Yes. Right. And I, I'm going to say that there are some questions that I have about the, the text itself mm-hmm. and about what it's saying that, don't, that lead me away from thinking that it says something about the age of the earth. This is something that we have talked with people about before, and they say, but it's in the text. And I said, well, also water is there before anything else is there, right? The spirit, right. Of the, the spirit is hovering over the waters. So water is there. So how did it get there? Well, and then I people try to... I've had people try to argue this, that, and the other thing on how the waters got there in Genesis at 1-3. And I'm, I'm like, well, the, the problem is that we're getting into a discussion exegetically, which is great. And that should be the discussion. But it's not quite as clear-cut as you want to say it is. And, and, I, and so I feel that you can take the Bible literally right. and come to either view. Right. And there's a, I mean, quite honestly, there's a really wonderful discussion to be had about whether or not Genesis chapter 1 is talking about creation ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. Um, I'm not saying that God didn't create everything. I absolutely believe that. I'm just, there, there's a lot of Hebrew, faithful, biblical Hebrew professors and scholars who are dialoguing about that. That is this talking about the creation of the sky and the land that you see? Or is this the creation of the heavens and the earth, meaning everything that ever was or ever is? Mm-hmm. That there's a legitimate discussion to be had there. But again, this gets back to what the intent of the author is. I don't know very many people right now who are going to come out and say the intent of the author is to give a 21st century cosmology. Mm. It's going to and using categories that we would be accustomed to. Right. There's just not that many. But then again, there are those uh, in this debate, uh, Ken Ham and those who are in the creation, um, 
Institute or Genesis. What are they called? The, the Creation Research Institute, isn't it? Yeah, yeah there's an Answers in Genesis. Answers in another, Genesis. Another ministry. That I have a lot of regard for, and I think that they should be listened to as well in some of this. I just don't think that they are the only people who are trying to genuinely interact with the Bible mm. on this issue. That John Walton's book on Genesis 1 mm. is actually really good, and he's trying to genuinely understand what the Bible says here. Yeah. I mean, when right. I was growing up and reading all this stuff about young earth, if you didn't believe that, yeah. I mean, you, were, you weren't a Christian, right? Because right. it's obviously a young earth and science would prove maybe it's older and you go, oh, no, 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 it's still a young earth. So yeah. You can't and it fall might into be. that trap. Right, and it might be. age, might right. be. Um, so it's an interesting debate, mm-hmm. uh, but, but now we're splitting your, over. You never gave your view, Joe. Yeah, I'm an agnostic. Oh, you pulling a meeker? Mm. <laughs> what a weenie. <laughs> My dad is a geologist, though, so if you push me, I actually think that you should that science should answer the questions about age of the Earth and stuff like that. I think that science is very capable of doing those sorts of things. That's what it's good at, good at right? It doesn't answer any whys. It answers good, a lot of hows. So, so I'm what very would your correct. dad say? My dad would say old, and I think the, I, I believe the Earth looks old. Absolutely. I mean, I've done enough study in glaciation and have my father on the on my on our family holidays, drive-by things. Son, you see up there? That's the result of scarping from the glaciation of the second ice. You know, like, oh, man. <laughs> so did you, you have dad. a rock collection Thank when you, you grew dad. up? No, my dad is, yeah, he loves, he loves the rocks. And so, yeah, so, I, you know, I was weaned on that, and I have no reason to doubt my father's, uh, my father's scientific expertise on these matters. Yeah. He, so I'm happy to go with him on that. Good. Well, let's go on to another question here. Um, this uh, listener writes in, Twice lately I've read about the church, uh, and this is generic, the church, not Northview, giving spiritual gifts. And I wonder if Northview ever does that. Giving? Yeah. Four and a half years ago, God told me to be still, wait, and be patient. And I'm wondering if the church might know something about that that God hasn't yet revealed to me. Uh, and then they put a verse here, Romans 1.11, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. And also First Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So can we, can we just before, whenever a text is brought up, the second one of those it isn't necessarily talking about uh, how the, the church itself uh, conferred upon a person a spiritual gift. It's how God gave that gift when the they were being commissioned for ministry. Is it so, right so about that? So the elders laying their hands right on. was a signification. It was signifying God setting that person apart for ministry, and the Lord empowered that person with a gift. I don't I don't know if I, w- I want to read that as saying that the elders of the church gave a gift to that. And do you guys understand what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that when we read these texts, we want to read them in their context. And so the question I'm going to have about Romans 1.11, for example, which is the other text that's used, is this talking about spiritual gifts in the 1 Corinthians 12 sense, meaning that gift of faith, a gift of you know healing, gift of whatever, miracle, mm-hmm. whatever. Is that what's going on there? So I'll read the text, and you guys tell me. Romans 1.8, and I'm not saying this because we all these questions, by the way, we get... Like off the cuff. Yeah, you haven't That's seen that. That's the whole point of this podcast is to sort of just see what Stump we do. Stump the chump. Yeah. So, Romans 1.8. Um, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, so this is talking to an individual or a church, by the way. Church. Is it a church, yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So I serve that in my spirit with the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you, the church, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, the church. <clears throat> Verse 11, for I long to see you, who? Church. 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 <laughs> that I may impart to you church. Church. some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Church. Yeah, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged. So he actually clarifies what he means here in verse 12, correct? Mm-hmm. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So, I, look, I take, I, I take the spiritual gift to be a statement about the faith that will be mutually encouraging to each other. Not in the same sense as 1 Corinthians, but you guys can tell me I'm wrong about that. No? Nobody wants to tell No me takers? Sorry, say again what you just said. So I'm first of all, I'm saying that this is a spirit that the, the language of spiritual gift here is not being used in the same sense as it is in the gift lists of First Corinthians twelve. That Paul actually tells you exactly what spiritual gift he's he referring tells you to. What he's and he's talking to an entire church. He's basically I want to come and see you so that I can give you the gift of mutual encouragement hmm. in faith which is different than saying, I want to come to you so that I can give you, this individual, a spiritual gift. So I'm just saying that the texts that are being brought up in the question hmm. don't, don't actually say quite what they're assumed to say. So, so then the next question is, okay, is there a biblical precedent for a church giving a particular spiritual gift so that we together say, okay, we want Jeremy here to have the gift of <coughs> wisdom. So we're going to lay hands on Jeremy and give him the gift of wisdom. I, I, don't, I don't actually see that right. in, in the Bible. It's not what our I, gift to give. What I say, see is God giving <clears throat> gifts mm-hmm. to fulfill the ministry that he's called people to, to do. But I, I do think that there can be an element of having the community play a role in discerning or affirming what gifts totally. have already been given. Right. Mm-hmm. The laying on of hands, I think, is mm-hmm. part of that. And we lay hands on somebody and we say, we affirm you and we want to bless you in this work that you you are called to and obviously gifted <clears throat> for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's appropriate for this person to go to their small group or people, Christian people that know them and mm-hmm. say, you know what, I'm wrestling through what my spiritual gifting might be, mm-hmm. how God's gifted me. <clears throat> what do you guys think? How you have know, you observed the- me? There was something Jeff said to someone a few years back that I really resonated with me on this issue. When someone comes and asks you to help them figure out what their spiritual gift is, you turning around and saying, okay, when you come to church mm-hmm. and you observe people doing ministry, serving as ushers, whatever, preaching, worship, what bothers you the most? Mm-hmm. The thing that's not being done really, really well. Kyle. Like what? <laughs> Kyle's life? <laughs> the way Kyle is? <laughs> the way he looks? Um, what bothers you uh, so much? It is possible then that whatever it is that is really gnawing at you mm. and, y- and you feel like you want to do something about it, that might very well be a gift that God has or is birthing in you. So when I go to a church... And, and visit. Can we not use that phrase anymore, ever? Who you? I don't want to birth anything. <laughs> oh, you're, I've you're, seen birth. I'm sorry, total aside. You notice in Christian circles we birth stuff all the time? Yeah, we do. Talk about some dude birthing. Oh, is God birthing in something you? Oh, no. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Oh, that's got to be oh, a different yeah. verb than that's, that. Right? Okay, biblical language. No? <laughs> so my point here, my point <laughs> here is, <laughs> my, my point here is, um, I think when I go to a church to visit a, a friend's church or whatever, the thing that really <laughs> disturbs me a lot is if the preacher did not preach the text well. If the preacher was not prepared, <coughs> why? Because I think one of my stronger gifts would be teaching. Teaching. Yeah. Did God birth that in you? He totally did. <laughs> I know some people. It's a biblical word. Some people come to the church. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. Just because God, because hey. the word birth is in the Bible, doesn't mean we get to turn it into well, it's a vivid. It gets your attention. A verb about everything. That's, whole, that's a part of the point of language. It gets it, your it, attention. It's, it's a word reading. picture. It's a powerful word it's picture. It's powerful. <laughs> it is. It's, it made you sit up and notice. So, right. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, what is it your what is recoil. your anger towards this reveal about? You want to birth something. You want to birth something. What, what, Jeff, might that We're be? We're ready to deliver it. <laughs> <laughs> to receive it. Oh, dear. We better stop. Wow. There's some really bad jokes there. Um, I don't even remember what we were talking about. We were, <laughs> spiritual <laughs> gifts. We were, t- we were talking about spiritual gifts. No, right. you, should, you should actually, I think Greg's absolutely right, that you, it, you find out your spiritual <laughs> <laughs> You find out your spiritual gifts by talking to the community around you. I mean, I've had people, you know, take special gifts inventories and stuff, and that that's, can be helpful, helpful as well. But yeah. usually as, as only a backup to being involved in the local church and finding out what it is. And the people should come around you and say, I think you're really good at that. And you get that affirmed in, in you. And like Ezra said, usually it's the thing that makes you upset when you come. So my wife comes to, to church, and if people aren't hospitable and kind, it drives her crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's because she's got gifts of mercy and hospitality. And so, I, I, yeah, and, and other people will be like, oh, the communities, to, you know, they have gifts around those areas. Or um, they could have the gift of complaining. Yeah, they, they do. They might have that gift. <laughs> yeah. Or I would say... If you're still wondering, okay, what what don't I like? Mm. How about uh, start by being an usher or just a, a greeter and, and just begin serving in one area where people need yeah, service. Just start, start serving and it won't be long before you begin to realize things that you like, things that you gravitate toward and things that, you, that are not areas of your strengths. Mm. Yeah. The moment so you begin serving, your gifts will begin to emerge. Or you'll learn quickly, yeah, mm-hmm. this isn't my... Right. This, and this that's okay, my right? And that's, that's okay, okay to yeah. say, you know what, this isn't my thing. I need to find where it is. So was that Kevin DeYoung wrote that book, Just Do Something? It's mm-hmm. a good book. <laughs> yeah. And so get involved. Just do mm-hmm. something at the church. And if you don't like it, move on to something else. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Yeah. Um, March 21, 22 weekend was a sermon, uh, something to do with the demands of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. remember that? Uh-huh. Okay, so this is a bit of a longer Ezra and question Greg preached those sermons, yeah. I believe. True story. Hearing the list of Jesus' demands to be his disciple left me feeling a little hopeless. Mm-hmm. Who among us can truly say that we are obedient to these demands? If there is no middle ground, you're either a disciple or you're not, then who can be? Isn't the good news of the gospel that Jesus had the perfect uh, obedience that we don't have? In the message, it seemed to come across as though you better get all your ducks in a row and obey all these demands before Jesus' atoning work will be applied to you. I'm not suggesting that becoming a Christian has no real impact on how you live your life, 
But messages like this leave me feeling like I'm not obeying enough and then wondering <coughs> if I'm even really a Christian. Okay, I think, I think um, that's a very good question. First thing that we have to make sure we understand is our good works, our good works do not earn salvation. They don't. Our good works don't earn us our salvation. Christ's finished work on the cross accomplished multiple things on our, on our behalf. Some of which include, first, obviously, he paid the penalty for our sins. But not only that, his sinless life now is credited to you, to your account. So it is imputed into you. So there's an exchange that takes place between Christ and, a, and someone who's becoming a believer. Christ takes, takes your sinful wickedness upon himself and he gives you his righteousness. And so that's a judicial act from God. So you become not just innocent, but righteous. So your good work's not good enough. However, there's got to be evidence to show that that transaction actually did occur. So someone who has come to saving faith, then there is an expectation that there's a way that you now begin to live your life. Now, will you stumble? Um, will, you, will, you, will you struggle? Will you battle? Will you fight? Will, you, will it be easy for you? Probably not. But there is this striving to be, striving to obey what Christ is calling us. Now, Christ himself is not shy about being pointed regarding what his expectation is. He expects you to do A, B, C, D. That's his expectation. That's the bar that he wants you. That's, that's the kind of lifestyle he's demanding. Right from his people, not to say that those works will save you. No, he already saved you, and he already justified you, and so you're already a Christian. Mm. So those things will not save you. Your works will not save you. However, your works are evidence to show. Jesus says it this way. This is how you know that, this is how you'll know that mm -hmm. somebody's my disciple, mm -hmm. is if they love one another. Yes. So, so I think, though, I think what what what's happening in our 21st century church culture mm -hmm. is we we make Jesus's words or his when he's calling people to obey him we we say oh it's under the blood oh well i'm just i'm just a wicked sinner anyway and then we begin to rationalize mm -hmm. our willful unrepentant disobedience or on the flip side we uh, think of those words as being the means that we gain salvation mm -hmm. So you can miss the gospel on both sides here. You can miss the gospel by saying grace is cheap, mm. right? Oh, yeah, I, I, it's all in the blood. It's all good. It doesn't require anything of me. Or you can miss it by saying grace is earned, by saying, no, no, I got to do all this stuff to get it. Mm. It's not. Mm. It's neither of those. <laughs> grace is costly. Yep. Discipleship is costly. Mm -hmm. But he earned it. Mm-hmm. And in Luke 14, in the passage that was preached on, the the expectation in this passage isn't isn't perfection, but it's a prioritization. What are you prioritizing in your life? Because if you prioritize your family or your money or your stuff or anything else above Jesus, that's evidence that you aren't his disciple. Mm -hmm. If you prioritize him above all else, even though it's going to cost you something, mm -hmm. that's the evidence. And that's why he uses what the illustrations of... of what does what mean? Go ahead. No, he uses the illustrations. He uses the illustrations of don't build a tower if you don't know how to finish it. You don't have the money to finish mm -hmm. it. Don't go off to war if you don't think you have the, the people to complete the job. Make, make the decision to follow me knowing what it's going to cost you. And then once you do that, then 
that that's evidence of your discipleship saying, you know what, even if this means there's going to be fractured relationships in my life by me doing this, Jesus is worth it. But then it's also worth to say in that very text that, yes, it will cost you to follow him, but the cost is greater not to. Oh, totally. There's a greater cost if you don't follow. Sure. But I think he's what Jesus is kind of saying against here is this idea that you can just this easy believism where you can just say in your mind, I'm going to follow Jesus. Yeah, grace is cheap. Even though it doesn't mean anything for mm-hmm. me in terms of mm-hmm. how it actually plays out in my yes. life. And that's the mm-hmm. point. Real Christians will yeah. prioritize Jesus over everything Okay, else. what does that mean? To prioritize Jesus. Yeah. So how does in it look like? In practical terms, yep. what do you mean when you say real Christians will prioritize Jesus over other things? Well, I think it means when when there's a conflict of in some sort of situation between what am I going to do in terms of following Jesus's words about the use of my money am I am I is my desire is the trajectory towards obedience is or am I going to look at those words and say yeah but I actually like this stuff better so I'm not going to give it away or pick your pick your potential conflict yeah so so this is interesting because Kyle the text Kyle and Ezra were preaching on this weekend uh, you say to me, Lord, Lord, but you don't you do not do what I say. Mm-hmm. So here you are saying that I am the sovereign sovereign. I am not just one sovereign, I'm double. I'm a dear double sovereign. Oh, you have authority over me, over everything. I mean, except I don't do anything mm-hmm. you say. So I say that out loud. I confess it. It's My profession is one way, but my actions show that I deny mm-hmm. my profession. Willingly, unrepentantly, continuingly, right? Yeah. That's the idea here then this demonstrates that you're actually not real. You're like right. a person who's built their house upon you know, sand or a bad foundation. You mm. think it's all going to stand, but I'm, the judgment is going to show that it's not. Mm. Right. John says it this way in 1 John 3.16. He says, this is how people we meet. This is, this is how you know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for you, and it's our, in our turn we're bound to lay down our lives for each other. Right. But if a man sees a, somebody else in need and shuts up his heart against him, how can it be said that the love of God abides in him? Right. And, uh, and that ultimately, people that have committed themselves to Christ won't shut up their hearts against people that they will give of what they right. have. Well, and we, we always talk about in these areas, we'll talk about money, we'll talk about sexual ethics, but it also has to do with other things like submitting to leadership right. and with forgiveness, forgiveness towards others where we'll say, no, I know Jesus calls me to forgive others like he forgave me, but do you know what they did to me? Right. Yeah. Oh, and then the, but the, the scriptures, though, and this is where it's so challenging. Jesus said, forgive as Christ forgave you. And like, if you will not forgive your brother, right, I will not forgive you. Mm-hmm. So you get, this lang- you get this language, these warnings throughout. So, Greg, you're preaching, uh, going to be preaching soon about a sermon, a sermon on John 8, which yeah. is a passage that's really crazy, yeah. where a bunch of people who believe in Jesus bunch of Jews who believe in Jesus are said they're called children of the devil because they have no room for his word. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, this is the whole point with Hebrews. Don't, don't, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. Don't stand at the edge of the promised land when God says go and say, nah, I don't think so. What does this say about you? And the answer is it says that you're not real. And this is what all these, the, 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 the call the radical call to discipleship for Jesus is to say, look, I get to be the sovereign. I get to be the, the chief. I'm in the lead chair. That's the only way I come. There's no, there's no half-hearting. There's no like, well, I kind of want to give these pieces of my life to you, but not really these other pieces of my life. No. 
Now, your whole life is going to be about increasingly giving parts of your life to Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. But if you ever at one point in your life find yourself saying, no, you can't have that, these, this is when these passages come up, and you should put a big question mark now over whether or not he's really Lord, Lord. And to, 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 to put it in, in very practical terms, like, say, for instance, Jeff said here, like, um, if, if, he's, if, if you get to something that you say, no, you can't have that, mm -hmm. and people and might persist say, persist hey, in that, though. Yes, but people might say, people might say, but I don't say that, I've never said no to Jesus, and my, I'm taking the illustration a little further. What grid will you use mm. to determine how you spend your money? Mm. Like, what grid do you use to determine whether this thing is true and this thing is false? And I would say, most people in our day-to-day, -day, we make decisions about what we're going to watch, we make decisions how we're going to spend our money, where we're going to go off holidays, what kind of jobs we want, the desires of our lives, how we'll retire. All these are decisions we make. But we use a grid, mm. a worldview that helps us determine what those decisions will be. Right. The question here is, is the Bible informing your decisions on all things pertaining to life, pertaining to future responses, all of it? Okay, so I want to temper some of that. Mm -hmm. And the reason I want to temper a little bit of it is because if you go so far with that, you end up saying that the Bible has one answer to what you should watch. And the Bible has one answer to all these questions because we're dealing in the realm of worldview. Yeah, if you have the Bible as your worldview mm -hmm. and it's the governing principle and Jesus is the governing principle, then uh, of course you'd homeschool your kids because that's the only thing you do. You wouldn't give your kids over to some alien world. Clearly, that's the Christian thing. So, so notice what I'm saying here. This is why in, in, the passage, in the books like Galatians and others, you have a fight back against legalism. True. Where people want to add to... The scriptures, why you have things like Christian liberty. Like the Bible doesn't speak to some things, like yoga. People, like, they, mm. like the Bible doesn't speak oh, to some things. No, yes, listen, no, the Bible, the Bible doesn't yeah, speak to some things mm -hmm. where, where we, are, we are given certain kinds of freedoms. Mm -hmm. And so, so we want to go where the scriptures go when it comes to the call of discipleship and say, no, you need to say yes to Jesus. But we don't want to ex extend the call of Christ into so many specifics where he didn't actually say those things mm -hmm. so that somebody thinks, I'm not a Christian unless I homeschool or private school or public school or whatever. So, so there's, a, there's a dance here that needs to be danced. Yeah. So can I wear yoga pants? Let's hope not. No. <laughs> no, but no. I guess, uh, yeah. But the question I want to bring is... And maybe Jesus doesn't instruct us in every detail on every decision of life, but Jesus should inform every detail of every decision of life. We should do things. What do you mean by inform? We should be doing things because we want to honor him. Yes. We should be doing things that we think that he has right. given us liberty to do, if we put it in that mm -hmm. category. Mm -hmm. um, and as, as we have Jesus as number one, it's not like uh, number one and we check him off the list and go to number two. It's number one because it informs everything else and in the influences. list. Without and a doubt. But yeah. as long as you're willing to say that everything else in, the influence, in that list for me might look a little bit different than what it is for you. That you might say, right. you know Depending what, I can Depending on what the issue is. I can go and worship Jesus by drinking uh, a pint of Guinness in a pub. And I might say, no, I can't do that. That's it. So my, my personal... Uh, grid that's been informed by scripture and my experience and as I look across the Christian world uh, the way that I'm going to edify others includes me not doing that 
but somebody else might have freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's where I want to say, right, let's just be, let's be careful with what kinds of specifics we start drawing out. How much right. money mm-hmm. should you have? Mm-hmm. What kind of car should you drive? Mm-hmm. So I got, I mean, I got guys who come out and say, Jesus would never drive a BMW. Uh, would he? Wouldn't he? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Would he drive a but, Hummer? Would he drive but, but, but a Toyota? Jeff, would but he Jeff, drive? My point is, don't. Maybe but he would again, drive all of those but, things. But, but I think, but I think what Kyle and I are saying is this. I think the issue is not to be legalistic here, but the issue is to make a biblically informed decision, Without even in areas that the scriptures and don't then, say. And then show grace to those who come to different conclusions about those. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. The Bible is equally clear about this, mm-hmm. right? Eating meat sacrificed to idols. You can read in Romans 14, 15. You can read about these sorts of things and how it is that the church, how, how it is that it's very a great temptation for people in the church who focus on the cost of discipleship mm-hmm. to say, well, if you really were a Christian, you would be doing thus and so. And they don't have chapter and verse for thus and so. What they have is their own feelings that they then defend by saying, well, the Christian worldview is like this, and therefore if I make that connection with this. and they, There's a guy, listen, there's a guy, and this will resonate with Canadians who are listening. Mm-hmm. There's a guy in Kyle and my doctoral cohort who's, who's kind of, after one of our classes, for a half an hour argued with me that, the, that true Christians would fight against public health care. Now, he, he made an argument starting from the Bible and what it establishes regarding personal property and these sorts of things. Now, are you guys good with this? <laughs> well, you're not Christians if you're not supporting private health. That's essentially what he was saying. And his, his point was, oh, see, the Christian worldview informs every decision of your life. And I want to say, yeah, fine. If you want to say informs, that's fine. You can come to the conclusion that you don't want to support right. private health or public health care. But I, I, Jesus, I, I don't know. I don't think Jesus is actually speaking to pi- private or public health care. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to become a legalist about that matter. I, I also don't want to tell a per- person that their house needs to be less than 3,000 square feet in order for them to be a true honoring Christian. I do think the words of Jesus about giving to the needy, about the needs in the world, should resonate in some way with you significantly. But what that looks like in terms of my giving and your giving, I, I'm going to leave that between you and God. Mm-hmm. But so, so I'm just... I'm. I'm tempering all of this discussion to say, yes, we need, we need to be committed to Christ so that when a clear word from the Lord, and I don't mean this some, some feeling in your you know, liver quiver. I mean that the word of God, There's the testimony of the apostles, mm. is actually speaking to your sexual ethic. And you are saying, eh, I don't think so. And you persist in that. That's when the words of Christ regarding these things are supposed to sting you. You're supposed to hear him and say, Jesus said, what? Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And those who truly are his will repent and believe. Those who are not will leave. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll end with that. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time here today again. If you have any questions, please send them to extra at norfew.org. Otherwise, we have to use some of John Rendell's questions oh, that would coming be a up. Bad episode. <laughs> Please send questions. So, like, how many Matrix movies are there? Like, is there four? Don't forget about Secret Church. Is there six?